My name is Jamie Piles. I joined Samaritan in December of 1996. We were homeschooling our kids and we were already thinking outside the world's box, if you will. And I saw a little tiny classified ad about this new kind of idea I'd never heard of before. My first reaction was, that's the kind of thing that we would do, isn't it? And so I finally called the number, talked to them, and the more I asked them questions, the more I liked their answers. Politic on the Fight Live Feast Network. Pastor Toby Chuck Knox. Oh. I'm the water boy. And we got Dr. Scott Postma in the studio. Yes. Uh, yes. Kepler. Kepler Education. Yeah. So thank you for joining us. Hope you're Advent doing things, you know, every night with your family. We're getting there. Yes. We're getting there. We've had a busy month this week. Hopefully. We're going to be hitting the Advent stride like real hard. This week? Real hard, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys, for Christmas. I know, I know. Did you guys get the book? Yeah. You guys got the books, right? The Advent book? Yeah, yeah. The church has produced. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, Have you been going uh, to that? King's Cross, did they not pass one out? Yep, they did. They did. Everybody got Aren't one out. Aren't you a deacon? Except for the second service. Except for the second service. Except for a particular deacon. In the second row. <laughs> wasn't paying attention. Interesting. Ooh, yeah. You in trouble. <laughs> Hey, um, we've got a giveaway because it's yes. Christmas. We give away. We're giving away gifts all month long. Two all more giveaways until our, uh, you know, because our wife show we're recording yeah. uh, this week, and then that'll yep. be we're going to give away thirty tickets. That's right. So we've been conference. giving away presents to all the Fight Left Feast pub members, and uh, so if you're a pub member, you're already automatically entered into the drawings. That's right. And um, if you haven't already joined, I mean, I guess it's kind of too late now because uh, we're. Yeah, we're recording. All well, it's the not final too late shows. to join, but just too late to get a gift. Yeah, you know what I mean, Gabe, you ready? Yes. Are we doing it? Okay, so we're giving away uh, today. We uh, we're going to be giving away Francie's Fukushima food for thought because this is Advent. We got to celebrate. We need some food. Yes, we need to do it. And then we're giving away a cross politic apron, so okay. it'll be shipped. Those shipped are to legit to go with it. To go with the you know because you're going to cook, you're going to need an apron, right? Yep. And, and then we're giving away mugs because if you know whatever you're cooking. It, that mug will handle the scotch, the wine, the coffee, whatever it is. The you eggnog. Know, the the eggnog. Okay. All of it. So that's okay. what we're giving away today. So our our winner for today is is, is Zach W. Zach. Zach W. will be sending you an email, food for thought, and uh, apron for your wife. Timing. <laughs> Wait, or, Zach. or Zach. Why can't he uh, have the apron? Yeah, he can have it's, no, it's, okay. It can go Need both one. ways. Oh. <laughs> it's, a, it's a black apron with white tips. Oh, Gabe, I don't like what you I'm just digging, did there. Gabe, I'm yeah. digging a hole further. It's, it's no good. Did. Okay, well, Merry yep. Christmas. Zach. Uh, thanks for your yeah. support, Zach. Uh, Kepler is an online marketplace for classical Christian education that assures parents maintain their agency without forfeiting the assistance and expertise of qualified conservative Christian teachers. Kepler offers university model courses in the classical tradition that fit your schedule and your budget. Visit www.kepler.education. That's kepler.education and use their simple search tool to find the course and teacher that meets your child's needs or simply ask for help to get assistance from a real human being. That's, uh, that's yeah. my favorite part about their yeah. app. Um, first time I read it, I was, I was just sort of, sh I, I wasn't expecting that line, but that's, that's great. Come <laughs> to Kepler we, yeah. where there are real human, human beings. beings. Yes. Uh, we're really grateful to have Dr. Scott Postma. He served as a minister for 20 years and as a Christian educator Ooh. for 25 years. Ooh. During this time, he's helped plant two churches, founded two private Christian schools, and is now the president and CEO of Kepler 
education. Scott, thanks for joining us on Cross Politic. Hey, thanks for the opportunity, guys. A- absolutely. I don't um, see any classes on here for human diversity and stratification. <laughs> ah. <laughs> it, it's it's inherent in a great books curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, this is great. This is really yeah. good. And, and you brought your Kuiper with you. I'm I'm. Uh, yeah, well, we're gonna we're gonna I, get oh, there. Oh, hold on, like. no, I want to get there just a second. I, so, but I think it would be really helpful, Scott, for you to start by explaining to. Yeah. Um, our people, just sort of what makes Kepler education unique or different? So, I mean, many of our audience are, uh, the, you know, we um, we are big Christian education fans. Yep. We're constantly plugging um, various options yep. that families ha- uh, have at their disposal. classical conversations, um, all, Kepler. Yeah, all these yep. things. New and St. so Andrews. Um, yeah. what, what, uh, what's unique about Kepler? Yeah. Well, Kepler's not a school. So okay. that's that's one of the things that make us very unique. We are a marketplace for classical education, which, as you mentioned in the the opening, you know, the, the intro there, that we allow the parents to, you know, we help them with that agency, right? So they're not just outsourcing to a school. You know, some parents will say, well, I want to outsource to a school. Right. But they can outsource just to one particular teacher. They want their, their child to study under mm. a particular teacher or take one particular course. Or if they want a whole diploma track, that's also available to them. But we have adult uh, courses, teacher certification yeah. courses, dual enrollment um, for you know college-bound students. They can get regional accredited uh, college credits, and you could fill you could fulfill a complete AA for about twenty-two hundred bucks, and it's regional accredited. So wow, yeah, okay. So you're a marketplace, yep. um, which means I assume that means that the this list. So there's a course catalog that you handed us here, mm-hmm. um, which means that. These courses, so so there are particular instructors, right? Who then um, off make these courses available? Correct. And so and so you're a marketplace in that sense where you've got educators offering their um, their expertise and their knowledge and their wisdom on particular subject matter, and then um, and then parents uh, and students come through this marketplace. And pick and choose what they want. Absolutely. Is that so, right? Yep. So we're working with independent teachers. One of our taglines for a long time was empowering families by liberating teachers. So making it possible for uh, for educators to be outside of the system um, and to be able to, you know, a head of household could support a family by offering as many courses as they want. They can set their own price. And then they work within a very generic framework that we provide to make sure that all the teachers are vetted, that they are Christian, classical, and conservative in, in the Burkean sense. And mm-hmm. so we want to make sure that they're vetted that way. And then the teachers can set up their own schedule in terms of when they offer that marketplace, that that FaceTime for their class, what curriculum they want to use. And so somebody may come and there might be three or four different writing courses that would, you know, they prefer a curriculum or they prefer a, perf- a particular professor or a time or schedule or a budget. So there's all kinds of options for them to come there and are, make those choices. Are all the courses live or some of them pre-recorded? Is it video courses yeah. or all or live? Yeah. So we use the university model, which means that there are pre-recorded lectures for every course, reading, you know, exercises, and then they come for 90 minutes of FaceTime every week with their instructor. Okay. So both. Yeah. So, so, so there yep. are video classes that yep. then they can take at any time. Yeah, it's not just like pre-recorded asynchronous kinds of courses. There, there's some weekly asynchronous work they do, but then weekly they come together in preparation but for that. At seminar. least ninety minutes of live FaceTime. Yep, um, every week online. Yep. 
Okay. Who was uh, Johannes uh, Johannes Kepler? Johannes Kepler. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> early modern mathematician, and uh, we we sort of chose Johannes Kepler as our um, mascot, I guess, if you if you want to call it that, because he really represents in the early modern world that faith and reason, that combination of faith and reason, not divorced in any way. So Kepler, of course, we know, um, you know, uh, is, is famous for his uh, studies in in bringing about, you know, elliptical understanding how um, the the harmonicis mundis, the uh, oh, you're speaking uh, in tongues now. Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, I'm about <laughs> uh, to. of the the. the <laughs> Um, the Harmony of the Spheres, famous work that he did. Yeah. Uh, so Kepler would, you know, figure out a math, you know, problem solution to to planetary systems on one page, and then turn and write a poem to the glory of God on the next page. Um, at, at one point, Kepler had his mother got caught up in those uh, witch trials, mm. and so while he's writing his magnum opus, you know, Harmonices Mundis is, is the name of it, um, he actually travels down to Lisbon in the middle of this, writes a hundred and twenty-eight page legal brief. And essentially puts an end to all these witch trials that, that are happening is, you know, to, to mm. get his mother released. So he's a rhetorician. He's a mathematician. Wow. He's a philosopher. He's a Christian. You know, he's a, he's he's a, a lawyer. What's that? He's a poet. He's a poet. He's a yeah. lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> what, and didn't his, if I recall correctly, didn't like his, um, he had some really interesting scientific thesis um, on uh, that was kind of laid the kind of the foundation for um, uh, creation arguments and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, well, the elliptical he, he recognized. So if you go back to the Ptolemaic you know view of of the cosmos, um, Copernicus famously gives us alternative view that it's no longer geocentric but heliocentric, and and Kepler built off of these. While Galileo is kind of under house arrest, can't do much. Kepler's overworking with Taiho Brahe, and they're they're observing the the stars, and they're writing out these equations and justifying and saying, yeah, actually Copernicus is right. This is more than just something to use, you know, in our in our laboratories. This actually makes sense for the world, and so he really propagates this idea and and really lays the foundation Genius. for guys like Newton and and so on for the mm-hmm. you know theory so, of motion. So uh, you brought Kuiper with you, yeah. Uh, what? Why did you bring Abraham? I mean, we love some Kuiper around here, but why did you bring Abraham Kuiper with you? Well, so Kuiper um, is sort of a basis for an argument um, that Kepler, we have recently uh, chosen to take ESAs uh, from one particular state right now. We're working individually state by state. ESA, like like a school voucher program or or education savings account. Education savings account. And Kuiper had argued for the freedom, parental freedom in education. Hmm. Um, so there, there's a lot to this argument, and there's a lot of Christians who are against vouchers, uh, against ESAs, and, and rightly so if understood a particular way. But what Kuiper, Kuiper wanted to do is distinguish between government subsidies. So yeah. this isn't the government giving private education help. What he wanted was for Christian parents not to be robbed by the state, recognizing in his sphere sovereignty that parents have the agency over their education, but the state also has an interest in education. For and I'll just use an example for Idaho. You know, um, Article Nine uh, opens up for Idaho state constitution that as a republic, this the state has a right to. 
um, argue for the education of its citizens, otherwise it can't survive. I mean, that's sort of the old classic liberal argument for, for government. Um, but Kuiper recognizes that no education is neutral, right? So you cannot say that um, government education is the best for everybody or, or the government's version of education is going to be best for everybody. And so he worked alongside others who had different worldviews with this theory in mind. Okay? So parents have the agency that's God-given, but there's no temporal autonomous authority who gets to decide which worldview is the right worldview, that which one is closest to reality. As Christians, we have a you know complete conviction that our view of the world is exactly right. But he would argue, well, so do the Muslims, so do the Catholics, so does you know every other world worldview. So there's no autonomous um, you know temporal authority that can make that decision. So why not allow those parents to retain those tax dollars and direct them in the direction that would be best for best suited for their family? And so um, certain states in our union obviously are, you know, there's all kinds of voucher things happening in, in different states and different approaches to this. Arizona, for example, has the ESA, the savings account, that basically takes a complete hands-off approach. Um, instead of directing that money to government schools, it goes into a parent savings account, um, and they direct it however they want to use it for education with virtually no oversight whatsoever. It's completely in the parents' hands to use that as they want, which you know, has made a lot of uh, legislators who are very pro-government school quite angry about that. But at the same time, parents have the right to is that the, it. Is that the state ESA that you're uh, you're accepting? Yes. It's the Arizona yeah, one. Yeah, the Arizona. We, we're going to look at each one individually to see how they're framed. Yeah. Um, because obviously there can be complications, as many people have pointed out. But Arizona is an example of yeah. one that's actually doing it in a more, whether they're conscious of it or not, it's a Kuyperian approach. Did Kuyper, I'm sorry, go ahead, Pastor. No, that's all right, go ahead. Did Kuyper, uh, when he said, like, for parents to retain their funds, did he mean that by not taxing? Because I don't know how anything can go through the government without them somehow creating a job that requires more money to go yeah. back to the government. <laughs> well, see, that's the fundamental problem. And and as Americans who understand, you know, free speech and, and we understand our particular, you know, view of, of a republic soci Republican society or a, uh, a constitutional republic, um, we recognize that and we, we see that as, as a problem. Nevertheless, one of the problems that we're facing is all of your state constitutions don't recognize that. They recognize in the constitution. You'd have to change the constitution for us to to be able to retain those funds. You think it should be changed is one of the things that we need to work on changing? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I just think that ESAs are an incremental approach toward in the right direction. And given the um, – Maybe the tide of, say, go, starting back in the 1980s of homeschooling and private schooling, the tide is turning against government schools, and it has been for some time. So ESAs, I think, are you know done well, done rightly, are an incremental way of parents recovering um, those funds that are already being captured, whether they get them or not. And Kuiper argued you're stealing from the parents who are um, home educating or putting their kids in private school because they already have to pay that tax anyway, and now they have to come up with the money to pay the tuition you know, a second time. So why not let them retain that? And that's a step in the right direction. And, and in this particular work here, documents at the end, you know, he was dissatisfied with how far they were able to go, but recognized that a compromise in politics always has to happen, you know, in incremental steps. And I think that's a, a good place for us to look at and recognize, you know, 
moving in the right direction. You know, certainly there's going to be dangers that, you know, are worth talking about, but, but moving in the right direction, it would I, be wise. I, I, uh, I think that we've talked about this quite a bit on the, on the show, actually, we, the, the momentum point is, is spot on. We yeah. have, there's a massive momentum, especially yeah. since COVID um, people pulling their kids out of schools. Uh, you know, the, I think crazy overreach homeschool with, increasing with, dramatically with, uh, with yep. the, the lockdowns, drag Queens, you know, whatever, like porn in libraries. Two, I mean, there's just 2 million less yeah. um, government schools in the last two years. Yeah. So, I mean, so you mean less students, less yeah. students yeah. Yeah. Enrolling so, in government so schools, momentum, yeah. I mean, I mean, 110%. And I think that if Christians are not thinking about how to, how to push this momentum harder then we're, we're not, we're, we're crazy. So, right. so yeah. 110% there. Um, my great concern though, is that, uh, I, I looked at a, a couple of the ESA, um, programs, one of them being Arizona earlier this year, um, and came away thoroughly dissatisfied, mm-hmm. um, despite the, the lack of hooks in, in, in the use of money, um, like the Arizona education budget is in the process of like ballooning sure, because they are basically paying off the teacher unions to do it. Just how you how you right, do sure, it, right? You, Which means, though, that it, that basically this is socialism on steroids. Well, I, because and because you have you have the the overall budget is like massively ballooning mm-hmm. right now. It's being propped up, I think, by COVID dollars that are still in the in the Arizona coffers. But basically, ultimately, this is going to come back and smack everybody in their um, property tax dollars and everywhere they bring those, you know, wherever they draw those education dollars out. So I think it's like. It's like socialism often does. Does is it, it's a it's a um, it's a game. It's it's like a pyramid scheme where you you say I want to give them their dollars back, but you're giving them back while going running around the back end and mugging them for more. I mean, everybody. Yeah. I mean, the, you 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 know what is it? Margaret Thatcher said eventually you run out of other people's money. Right, right. I mean, right. it's like that's that's like what this. I think that's what the Arizona system is. I, I, I don't know. Now, maybe you, you may you may have more insight into to some of those more particular parts of, of the structure yeah. and the way that they're funding this or way that they're allowing it to happen. I, I think my, my thinking is that anything that we're doing incrementally moving, you know, money back into into people's hands, not. And, and this is the, the point that Kuiper made. We don't want to think of them as subsidies or call them subsidies because we're not saying that the government's giving us money to do that. We're saying um, we're allowing parents to direct that those funds. Now, if the state's going around the back and and but that's what Arizona's that, is. I mean, Arizona's plan is actually is like you, it is a subsidy, mm. and it's like it is socialism. Like they're taking far more money from property owners than I, they I would were have before. To see, I would honestly, yeah. I, I don't dis. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not yeah. arguing with you that that isn't true. I didn't see anything in everything that I read that yeah. showed it that way. The, the, um, the now, like North Carolina and Nevada yeah. are a little bit different. They're structured a little bit differently, right. and those those states I would be very reluctant to take. It, I, I read some because of, the, of the strings connected to the account. Yeah, and I don't know. Like, I don't know all their strings. Yeah. Again, that's an investigation process right now. Yeah. But Arizona had no strings attached to it, yeah. and it was allowing um, because I've seen the accounts where from the parental side where they. You know those those funds are directed anywhere they want to direct them without oversight. Right. No, I, I remember that part. Yeah. That's accurate. Yeah. The concern was, was when I went to, actually to the websites that were championing the programs. Mm-hmm. What they were saying, like just straight up, you know, the, the supporters of of the program was how much um, the Arizona Education Department 
how much more, how, how fast the whole budget was growing. Okay. Yeah. And that money has to come from somewhere. Sure. Again, so, I think in the short term, I think that it is getting propped up by some COVID money, which there's just more socialism. Yeah. But, um, but as I, that's my concern is that money has to get funded somewhere and eventually it comes from the people. Right. And, and I, and so I, so I Toby, would, you, would you push back then on, you know, let's say it, so you're pushing back on maybe voting for it. You wouldn't vote for it, but let's say it passes. No. Then do you do the ESA thing? The, you know, the, concern, you I, the concern I have though is, and, and this would be the, another question for you is I wonder yeah. how much work you've done on, um, on the Canadian um, uh, school system. Because um, basically, we have a number of friends in Canada mm-hmm. who um, Canada did the, this ESA voucher thing about 30 years ago, okay. 40 years ago. And now they're, they're all private schools in Canada are functionally government schools. Well, so, so, yeah. Okay. And so um, now I, I know you want to make a distinction between subsidy and, and so on. But right. like, but there's, it's, it's, is it, it, there has to be a difference in actual um, function for it to actually be different. Um, so for example, if I get an actual voucher that says any property taxes that you would have paid into the government school system, you get to keep and you can pay for whatever schooling you want. I'm all for that. That's me actually keeping my money. And that's a bill I'm running with the legislature. Not, here in Idaho. not sure. I'm not taking yeah. some, I'm not taking some of Gabe's money and some of Knox's money and some of your money to pay my bills. That's called socialism. I'm actually keeping my own money. That's I'll be one thing, but I think whenever you start running all the money through the government, um, which is is just a money laundering system. I, I, I don't disagree. Yeah, I don't disagree with yeah. that on the on the big scale. You know, um, you know, theory in, in the way that the government works. Ideally, it would be great if they didn't take our money first and do that. Yeah. I just think incrementally working back, except for having a a state, you know, constitution. You know, have an amendment to the state constitution that takes that money out. Um, you know, and, and um, Idaho's, for example, is extremely aggressive against sectarian and, right. and religious schools. Right, because of Mormonism. Yeah, yeah, sure. But <laughs> I, I, I think it would just be worth um, – I'd love to – I'm all for, like, let's yeah. dismantle it. Yeah. And incremental steps toward actually doing that, I'm, I'm there, sign me up. I, I'm just concerned that, like, again, that was the offer in Canada. Mm-hmm. That was the plan. And there were a bunch of people in Canada that said, look, this is our chance. Yeah. Would you say though that Canada though on on several other you know medicine and 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 others you know are far more socialistic in their mindset overall, whereas for America and maybe I'm wrong on this, but for for America the pushback that we're seeing the tide that we're seeing going different direction allow parents to maintain or or keep you know some of the tax dollars that would be given to government schools. And the momentum continues on. Now, could everybody just lay down, take the money, and then they attach a string to it, yeah. and everybody says, "Why well, I don't want to give up?" That's that's a possibility. Which is the, what conservatives the, have been doing for decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the concern I have too is is just once. So to Gabe's point, once you actually take the money, so let's say like you didn't vote for it, wasn't your favorite plan, but there's the money, and you say, "Well, I guess we should, mm-hmm. you know, let's take it and hope that we can incrementally um, uh, tear it down." I don't know how schools don't get addicted to the money. Um, and, and so like in the, and so this is what happened for, this is what has already happened in higher mm-hmm. education in America. Um, uh, with the exception of, um, Grove city college, new St. Andrews college, um, Hillsdale, and I don't know, maybe one or two others. Um, Christian higher education is addicted to government money. I mean, that's why TCU, yeah. which was a thoroughly Christian university, Baylor was a thoroughly Baptist Christian university. Yeah. They've all gone woke. They all, uh, TCU has LGBT dorms, all that stuff. And yeah. they, and now TCU, 
um, only uses their logo. They don't spell out Texas Christian University in any of their marketing yeah. materials anymore. That's it, how bad it is. It, but I think it, like people get addicted to the to that yeah. money, and it's like you build budgets off of it, and 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 initially you're like, well, we'll have a contingency plan because if you know if, if it goes bad, we want to be able to drop this right. like a hot rock. But it's like everybody has that contingency plan at the beginning, and then you know a quarter of your budget is built on it, then a third of your budget is built on it, then a half of your you know, and it allows you to build a building or it allows you to hire certain teachers, and now it's livelihoods. And at some point, I think all these. All these colleges were like, we can't possibly drop this because then we would go under. Mm -hmm. And I, Mm -hmm. and I think that's, I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the story that we've seen over and over again that I'm concerned about. I I honestly don't disagree with that. And I, and I, I would not be a, a a pro-socialist, you know, in, in any uh, fashion. Um, I just, I'm convinced that if we're careful, I think we could make incremental steps and I would love to see it continue to go you know, in, in a much better direction. But, and, and I think we do pick and choose to be really honest uh, sometimes. I mean, because I, I don't know, cause I don't do anybody else's taxes, but I know a lot of Christians take the, you know, child tax credit, you know, um, that are given in the government, which is, is nothing more than a, a socialist handout. Right. And, and I, you know, so we pick and choose the kinds of things sometimes that we're, that we're willing to take. And if we're thoughtful and, and we're intentional about it, I think it's possible is, you know, is there, um, you know, are there concerns and the issues? I absolutely think so. One of, one of the ways Kepler, and I'll just mention this, one of the ways Kepler, I think, because the diversity of, we're not just an Arizona school, obviously, this is just as one source, um, would not inflate in any way, would not inflate the cost of our courses um, because teachers are, are mm. the cost of those courses are, are functioning on a completely different level. This would just allow families who are, um, you know, in Arizona to be able to use the kind of courses by directing that money there. And if there was ever strings attached, uh, you know, I, I would hope now, you know, who knows what's going to happen, you know, 10 years after I'm gone or whatever, right. you know, I, I would hope that it wouldn't continue to take it. Great. I'm going to read this ad. Yeah. And then Knox has an amazing question for you. Whoa. You guys are aware <laughs> that we have a new app, right? There's a brand new Pub TV Fight Laugh Feast app. If not, you should download it right now. Head on over to your favorite app store, type in Cross Politic or Fight Laugh Feast or Pub TV. And once you find the app, uh, you may d- need to update uh, your old app if you have an yeah. old version Especially of ours. Especially Androiders. Especially you droiders. Sorry. You may need to delete your current FLF app and then read out and download it. But once downloaded, you'll be able to view or listen to our content right on your mobile device. As always, if you'd like to sign up for a pub membership, head on over to fightlaughfeast.com. That's fightlaughfeast.com. There's a whole bunch of um, free content on the app. Yeah. Um, and and I, just one more encouragement I, there, too. Is that if you sign up to join the club, don't do it through the app or Apple and Google get some of the money. They yeah. get some of the cut. Go to straight to our website. You'll still, get your, you'll still get your login access. Yeah. And then, but yeah. you can log in and there's a yeah. button of past uh, conference talks and a bunch of other uh, great mm-hmm. content. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gabe's This America series. Is, yeah. is the uh, cooking show up yet? It's coming. It's coming. Okay. Yeah. Right. For like Christmas or it's New Year's? You're right. New Year's. Maybe just New Year's. teasing us. Yeah. We got a, a cooking show coming that, no- that Knox has been working on. Uh, a bunch of other great content as well. So appreciate your support. And if you're already a pub member, I uh, really appreciate you. All uh, right, Knox. Dr. Postman, I have a, a, a problem I need your help with here. <laughs> <All right. laughs> uh, so unlike my kids, uh, I don't have a classical education. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to realize almost at every dinner that um, they're getting better and better <laughs> every day. It's, it's like very oh. tangibly noticeable. Okay, so <laughs> we, we share. Me yeah. and Gabe have a problem. Just no, like <laughs> speaking in Latin, and you're like, wait, 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 yo, what are you talking about? Yo, almost that, that, that ain't funny <laughs> for real. That's, that's I'm like, happening. show me a little respect and speak in a way I can understand. It. <laughs> and and they're having you know these conversations about history. Anyway, there's a they have a they're getting a classical education, which I want them to have. Yeah, but I'm realizing in my oldest. This is in 10th grade. I'm realizing pretty soon my conversation with them is going to be very small. <laughs> they be like, Dad, let me explain yeah. it to you like you can understand. Yeah, all right. Stop so, talking down to me. Uh, 300 BC. Shelly on the bottom shelf. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and so one of the things I've noticed is that I need to actually start getting a classical education myself. It's not enough for my children. I got to talk to my grandkids. And if these are the kind of people my grandkids are going to be around, I'm not even going to be able to have a conversation with them. So I notice you have adult learning and teacher certification. Let's just take that second half off because I'm not going to be a teacher. Okay. Okay. I'm just not looking for the certification. But if you had to take parents, someone like me and like Gabe, obviously, uh, who don't have a class of education, what kind of curriculums on this list would you say you have to like you need to have these things? Yeah, because I'm guessing what I'm noticing with my kids is that they're processing when we watch the news or we talk about world, they're processing this stuff a lot faster and their their anchors are set so well that they have better responses quicker than I do. And I'm yeah. like, that's really good. Now, you didn't think you don't think about it all the way through yet, but that's really quick. You know, they don't even know that they're doing it. And so I, I'm guessing some of this would help me. But what what would because there's a lot on this list. Well, so West, old Western culture for adults. Yeah. Is that a good one? Yeah. yeah. So th- this this is, you know, that's Roman Rhodes curriculum, um, you know, going all the way from the Greeks to the early moderns and in courses for adults. Now, here's so there's several different ways that adults can take advantage. And the fact is, this is probably just about every single classically, you know, Christian educated student has the, their parents have this this dilemma that mm-hmm. you just described, right? How do we get this education? I, I listen outside the door. I've heard that those kinds of conversations mm-hmm. uh, often, you know, from parents. But um, so Dr. Robert Woods is our dean of academics. Um, he founded and chaired the Great Books Honors College at Faulkner, um, where I did my doctoral program. And so he offers a series of preceptorials and micro courses. Now, this you know this can be crossover between teacher certification and just adult courses, um, but these are one week. So you do a short read, and then you have one or two sessions where you're in a classroom seminar um, and and have mm. discussions over short reads. And I think there's probably fifty or sixty micro courses. So this is for a busy adult. Who, you know, you've got jobs, you've got kids raising, you got all kinds of things happening. So your your time and commitment to reading and then having Socratic discussions about these readings and in, in, in particular readings uh, are available. Preceptorials are a little bit longer. Um, or then we have all kinds of adult courses, like you just mentioned, Old Western Culture, that takes you basically through Greeks, Romans, Christendom, and early moderns to Ooh. get a picture of what old what what uh, C.S. Lewis called the old Western culture. So Christianity and culture, is that what you're teaching? I'm teaching that. Christianity and culture. Hey, boy, hey, hey, touch not, you should be touched. There's a class on G.K. Chesterton. Touch not, you should be touched. Okay, yeah, we'll talk about that in a second when you get a chance to (laughs) talk. And then screw tape letters. I want to talk about recovering Christian humanism in the 21st century. That's the human diversity and stratification class that I was, I took at (laughs) University of Idaho. Yeah, something tells me that's not the same. Gabe would have been really fun to have in class, I think. Yeah, it <laughs> I, I was a riot. This sounds really uh, interesting. What, do you te- what is this about? 
Okay, so Christian humanism is the idea that Christianity has purchase on the culture. Um, so just to take kind of a, a historical— Purchase on the culture. Yeah, in other words, you know, Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, actually still has something to say about the culture. So think about this historically. Up until what we'd call the Enlightenment, say late you know, uh, 18th century or mid-18th mid century, um, was the very first time in history where you could be— uh, any kind of a scholar or theologian and legitimately call yourself an atheist where that would be acceptable in terms of like, okay, this is, this is a legitimate philosophical position that people could try to uphold. Right. So that's the very first time in history by the mid 20th century um, pointing to the inklings. Um, Mark grief is one example argues. That's the last time in history you could be a Christian um, and legitimately be looked at as someone who has mm. a legitimate philosophical position. Actual scholar yeah and and hmm. not be some you know right. evangelical kook out there right um, and so recovering Christian humanism saying that because of the incarnation um, you know because of Christianity all the things that secularism is trying to take this is cut flower right we, we want the bloom but we don't want the root and Christianity actually has the purchase on culture for human flourishing. And so it's a recovery of a, a Christian worldview as a humanistic approach. So a lot of times when people think of humanism, they automatically think secular humanism or atheistic right. humanism. Right. But Christian humanism says uh, otherwise. So C.S. Lewis, Chesterton, Tolkien, Flannery O'Connor, these would all be considered like Christian humanists. So um, can we take and apply some of what you're talking about just to some current stuff real quick? Because yeah, yeah. I'm intrigued. So have you heard about the guy um, in Iowa who tore down the I Briefly, yes. Okay. I, I read a, a, a brief thing on social media. <laughs> so there's a lot of Christians who haven't taken your class. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's funny. And it seems to be that there a lot of Christians are saying, hey, man, this isn't. So it, it was inside of the state capitol mm -hmm. and the Satan, supposed Satan worshippers, would decide to have this altar erected. And he just went up there, decapitated the thing and tore it down. <laughs> and Christian lawyers and even Christian um, ethics teachers are saying. Pastors. Hey, pastors. Pastors. Um, and representatives combined are saying this, this is a neutral, neutral space. He has, he has no right values free speech to, above to, all. To, to come in here and to do this in this neutral, in this neutral space, even though I disagree as a Christian about the whole Satan thing. This is how would, how would older Christians before this enlightenment moment even thought about something like this? And, um, what is the purchase? You say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this this wouldn't be this wouldn't be the best example as an answer. But what came to my mind while you're talking about is C.S. Lewis in that essay he writes De Descriptione Temporum about on the description of times. He says in the old Western culture he said people are saying that we're turning to paganism. I wish we would because he believed that would lead us to actual Christianity again. Um, and and that's it's an interesting argument that he makes. But old paganism isn't the same thing as modern. Paganism or modern oh, explain that. That's like that's like his. I mean, that's what till we have faces is all about. You read yeah. till yeah. we have faces. Yeah, yeah. How's that working out for that, you? That <laughs> is no, you got the, some other that's the hardest book well, for me to swallow from C.S. Lewis. It's the best book. It, yeah, that, that's what people say. Yeah. I think it's like that's it's probably yeah it's probably one of the toughest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were we gonna what were we gonna say? Well, no, I was just gonna say the idea that that old time paganism, even if they had the wrong object of worship, they still recognized an authority outside the self. Right? There was an authority mm. in the supernatural realm to which they owed obeisance, even if they had the wrong object. And in, and until we have faces, that's contrasted with this sort of what was is it's set in sort of ancient uh, Greece. Um, but the, there's this sort of Greek philosopher 
character who doesn't believe in any of the gods. Everything is rationalistic. Everything is scientific, but he kind of represents um, that same resurgence of enlightenment, rationalism and modernism um, that, that, that just says all there is, is our minds mm-hmm. sort of secular humanism. Yep. Um, and, um, and, and, but what, through the story um, using this, um, this myth, um, Lewis is basically arguing though, that the ancient pagans were closer to the truth than the rationalistic philosophers. And so um, that's an, that is an interesting yeah. way of, of thinking about the story because you have like, I mean, I don't like this Satanist thing is like, not, I don't think they, like I was thinking about also, it, it occurred to me kind of like a, we'll just keep bringing Lewis books up. This will be the Lewis show. Yeah. Um, but um, in uh, the last battle, you have this, the sham um, Aslan, mm-hmm. you know, you know, come see Aslan and then come see, you know, Tashlin, and it's this sham. It's it's totally Halloween dress up. Yeah. You know, like this Satan altar thing. Right. But you you summon the gods long enough and mm. the and the gods show up. Um and so you end up with, you know, Tash there and Aslan there ultimately. And, and so I think there was a sense in which this this Halloweeny thing going on in the state capital is really just I mean it's it was you know this guy made it out of you know uh, pool uh, noodles, cardboard, pool noodles, noodles and, and bungee cords yeah. and stuffed a head full of trash bags and it's like this like total cheese ball thing and at the same time I do think we're on a we're we're uh, we're teetering on the edge of what's left of Enlightenment rationalism yeah. and we're about to plunge into a darkness that I don't think we have any idea about yeah, we, um, don't, we don't have a capacity to to com- to, to conceptualize right. how to navigate any of that. Well, that's what's crazy is that I expect to argue with the, the pagans like that, but what you're describing, I, I'm t- this, this is the Christians that we're having to argue with like this. <laughs> right, right, right. right. right? right? Like, how, well, the Christians have embraced a, essentially an enlightenment um, paradigm. You sure. They're, they're saying there's nothing real here. There's, this is not a real Satan um, altar. There's no re- gods are not real. They're, they're a bunch of rationalists. They take that materialistic worldview and then up, we apply, I, I say we, you know, in, yeah. in the current Christianity and apply, you know, biblical beliefs or Christian beliefs, but without a real supernatural worldview. Right. Um, this, and, and not to change the subject from there, but this is one of the reasons that Flannery O'Connor always intrigued me because she had taking from, um, uh, from St. Augustine this idea of an anagogical vision that all human beings— um, you know, everything that happens on earth has eternal consequences that all human beings have a foot in the eternal and a foot on earth, so to speak. You know, it's the idea that when C.S. Lewis said, you've never met a mere mortal, the, the idea that there, there is a supernatural realm at work all the time. And we are inhabiting that at the same time we're inhabiting this, this material world. But a lot of Christians in the modern world that want to give, you know, space to all these other ideas and just leave this well neutral public square. Yeah. yeah this secularism um, are, are capitulating to this idea that it really is just neutral, that there isn't anything, you know, uh, you know, did, did pool, noodles and, and bungee cords actually represent any kind of, you know, in and of itself per se, did it have some sort of threat to us? No, but the idea in, in terms of what it symbolizes, right. That, that thing that it's attached to, you know, Paul even uses in, in scripture, doesn't he, he talks about the fact that we know that idols aren't anything right. except those who worship them are worshiping demons. Right. Mm. Right. So there is a demonic attachment to those things. Even if the right. thing itself isn't anything, there is, that thing for which it symbolizes, that thing for which it, it 
actually has a super or a material representation for the supernatural. I want this, this is course, why man. you need a classical Christian education yeah, for, real. for your kids. <laughs> yes, and yourself. <laughs> All right, what's the website that people can go to to check out Kepler? www.kepler.education and the full word education. We're not edu, so education. Okay. Right. Kepler.education. Kepler. All right, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us on the yes, show, man. God. Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, man. We should talk about it right. All you. right. Hey, if you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go Kept baptize. Until <laughs> tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. Yes, Gabe, that too. That too. <laughs> Kepler Education. <laughs> Hi, I'm Luke Ritchie. Wrong timeline. Okay, that's better. Time travel mechanics can get a little bit tricky. I'm Luke Ritchie, Chief Visionary Officer of Gravity Jack. In 2009, we founded Gravity Jack and essentially patented AR. What I'm about to tell you about is a vision that was 14 years in the making, War Tribe of Vinyaman. This is a game that feels so real, it might be. It's a genre-defining game for AR and mobile and the Apple Vision Pro. We've integrated artificial intelligence, not just into the characters in the game, but actually in the business model of War Tribe. So I love augmented reality games. They're one of my favorites. Uh, but the problem is it seems like they've added AR as an afterthought into the game. What if you sat down for 14 years and planned the entire thing around augmented reality? Games make a ton of money, and typically that money doesn't end up in the pocket of the players. We intend to change that. Lastly, and this is important, half the world has never and never will be targeted by big tech for an AI natural language processing engine. We're definitely going to change that. War Tribe of Binyamin has gameplay like you've never seen before. We have portals opening everywhere, we have holographic communication, but what's really cool too is the world of 2133 is accurately geo-overlaid on the world of today. We're laser focused on ROI for our shareholders, which is you. One of the things we're doing that's super unique that's never been done before is taking 10% of in-game revenue monthly and giving it off as a dividend. The other co-founders and myself started Gravity Jack in 2009, but in 2007 we'd actually sold our company to a gaming company. We've hired the best of the best in terms of game development. Our director of development, product designer, are all veterans in the gaming space. Uh, and not only that, we're going after a market that's gigantic. We're combining four huge major markets, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, translation, and gaming, uh, all for a combined market value of 1.85 trillion. Our incredible history has led us to be experts in mobile development, augmented reality, AI, gaming, and computer vision. It's been a wild ride here at Gravity Jack. A benefit to being so early on in augmented reality has led to a robust patent portfolio with active revenue and more to come. We've had the privilege of working with clients such as Oscar Mayer, Kraft, Lincoln, Samsung, T-Mobile. We've also worked on non-lethal Department of Defense contracts as well. We were a reference developer for Meta on the Oculus 2 directly, creating a game where other developers look to our source code for best practices. Early on in Gravity Jack's history, we did a game for Double Down Casino, and at the end of that contract, it was grossing 35 million a month. Our robust history has led us to be experts in augmented reality, AI, gaming, computer vision, and mobile development. Play to earn opportunities for the impoverished create an AI language model for unreached people groups, allowing us to have an eventual monopoly on speaking to half the planet. Our focus is shareholder dividends immediately after the game and into the future to create a game that's gonna blow the world's minds. And we're pulling people out of poverty and into productivity. So what's the ask? Join the Binyamin.